everybody, this is Tyler Smith, and this is uh, another mini-sode, mini-sode uh, 15, I believe. So, I say I believe it, it's right in front of me. I know it's 15, I'm not I'm not speculating. Uh, and we're going to jump right into it, because uh, the last mini-sode, we kind of took our sweet time getting to the movie. Uh, but first, I will bring in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hello. How you doing? Doing all right. All right. So, <laughs> we are going to be talking about my... Seventh, that's where we are, right? Seventh. My seventh favorite movie of all time. All time. All time. This movie has been in my top ten since I saw it. It, I believe the highest it ever got was to number four. And okay. so it has dropped a few, you know, I've seen more movies. It's dropped a couple places. But there are movies that ha- that have long since dropped out of my top ten. And I think some of those have even dropped out of my top 100. This one dropped three spaces, but it is in my top 10, and it will remain there probably f- excuse me, for the rest of my life. I feel like you could write a whole book about the history of your top 10 list. I probably could. <laughs> and that would be about as interesting as your hobby of uh, collecting paperweights, because that's what that book would be, by the way. What if, you could, what if you could do both at the same time? Read it and collect paperweights. Well, that's the thing is you read it, Life but you have, but you have it set up, you set it on the, on the desk oh. and then you put a paperweight on it, put paperweights all around it. So you keep it open. Yeah. And right. so you can just read it hands free until it's time to turn the page. Then it's kind of a production to move all those paperweights, but still <laughs> what, what a life boy. <laughs> Somebody's out there just living it up. Yeah. We are just wasting our lives. You know what? I don't feel like doing the mini so today all right good night everyone no that's that's not going to happen so okay so the uh, the movie is sydney lumet's network came out in 1976 written uh, written by patty chayevsky that is maybe the most notable credit in the film um for a number of reasons but um network as we were talking about uh a couple weeks ago with uh, the, the Godfather, which was uh, Josh's eighth favorite movie. Uh, Network is one that people have, a lot of people have seen, not everyone. It's a, it's surprising how many people are not aware of it, mm-hmm. but everybody knows the big line from it. They know, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Even though it's, I'm not going to take this anymore. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, uh, so I think in, in many ways it has seeped into our culture and, and, it, but if you go back and watch the original movie, it is so fascinating. It is so seventies in many ways. Mm. Um, there is the, you know, it. There are a lot of amazing characters, but the one that people remember is is Howard Beale, the uh, anchorman who goes crazy on the air and just starts saying whatever he whatever he's thinking. And he's something of an an of an antihero. I mean, and the fact that the film, like, elevates this man that is obviously losing his mind, mm-hmm. um, that in itself is kind of funny at times, kind of tragic at other times. But I do consider him something of an antihero because, you know, he says stuff that probably would be offensive to, to many people. And so, you know, we spoke last time about... Um, you know, the Corleones and like Bonnie and Clyde and Travis Bickle and various antiheroes. And like, they kind of the reason we like them is because they do what we wish we could do. Mm-hmm. Howard Beale says what we wish we could say mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. And he says it because, you know, in the, with Patty Chayefsky, he says it in really articulate ways that none <laughs> of us could ever do. But, um, and so I think that's why people respond to him mm-hmm. is he's just, 
he is unencumbered. He is all these other characters are, you know, scheming and they're trying to maneuver through like the bureaucracy of a television network. Mm-hmm. Howard Beale does not he casts all that off and he yeah. does his own thing. There was sort of a thing in the seventies for a while too where there was this uh, uh there were several movies that dealt with a subject where you had a person who was kind, either out of their mind or uh, abnormal in some way, and people elevated that person a lot. Like, uh, um, what's the the uh, being there is okay? Is yeah, one yeah. Where, and there's another key one where I think there's one where somebody thinks they're Jesus. I can't think of the one. The ruling class. That might be it. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, with Peter um, O'Toole. And. Uh, so I don't know. There must maybe there was just something in the in something in the water in the seventies where people really liked that idea of someone being able to come out unencumbered by societal norms or things like that and just say what they really thought. Well, and there's a there's a movie called uh, "And Justice for All" with Al Pacino. Did you ever see it? I uh, know I don't. It's know. a Norman Jewison film, um, and in that he's a, a lawyer who like defends clients that are just. In many in many ways, scumbags. Not all of them, but... Scuzz uh, balls. Yeah. What? Mm. I guess so. That would be just a ball of scuzz. That sounds awful when you put it like that way. Mm, it does. But, um, and so, and and spoilers for uh, Injustice for All, like, eventually Al Pacino just, like, breaks down and just has no patience for the law and, like, the process that allows, you know, scuzz balls to, uh, you know, to get off scot-free and... Mm-hmm. And that he's been a you know a party to it and all that and and so just the idea of I th- I think a lot of it was a response to the time mm-hmm. you know it's like what the sixties were sixties were like a response to the fifties but I do think that the seventies and especially movies were very informed by like Nixon hmm. this guy who you know talked about the silent majority and there's a very specific way that we do things here and it's a very it's very buttoned up and he was kind of he was he himself his election was sort of a response to the 60s and so he tried to shape things and and in doing so you know caused a lot of people to rebel and that's that's what Howard Beale is that's what network is it is yeah. an open rebellion in the midst of a corporate bureaucracy mm-hmm. and um and so i I'll talk about like the cultural impact in the film's, you know, prescience and all that um a little bit later. But I'll first just talk about the things that I like about it. First off, it's inc- it's incredibly well written. Patty Chayefsky um it pardon me. You know what? It is well written. Yes. But it's a very specific type of well written. Hmm. The dialogue is amazing and the and the and the characters um have a specific uh quality to them. These are not characters you would run across in everyday life. Maybe yeah. one of them, played by William Holden, but like most of them are kind of histrionic and just just over the top. I mean, this is a first and foremost a satire, and it is treated as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everybody, you know, I mean, there are probably I'm going to say ten big monologues spread across several characters. And if you got a monologue, guess what? You're going to get an Oscar nomination. All right. <laughs> it's worth noting that Ned Beatty was in the film about eight minutes. One of them he has he has one line in in a scene, and then in the other one he's got a couple lines leading up to probably a six a five or six minute monologue. Uh, and for that he was nominated for best supporting actor. And oddly enough, it was that monologue that got me into the Missouri All State Show. Hey. Uh, Beatrice Strait was in the movie for, I think, about seven minutes. 
and it's almost an it, hers i think is just one big monologue she won best supporting actress for network <laughs> um but yeah it's just in in four acting categories they are, the movie got five nominations and wow. it won Best Actor for Peter Finch, Actress for Faye Dunaway, Supporting Actress for Beatrice Strait, and Original Screenplay for Patty Chavsky. He was very interested in writing characters who are breaking down and speaking their minds, and for good or ill, because some of these characters are good, some of these characters are, are you know bad people. Um, but either way, that that he was just he seemed to be fascinated in communication, specifically one sided communication. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and that's something that I think appeals to a lot of us is we are expected to deal in dialogue. We are expected to like, okay, I'll, I'll say what I say. And then I have to listen to what you say. And, and we just have to go back and forth. But I think deep down, all of us are, you know, and some of us start two podcasts as a result. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of us are screaming to be listened to. I've got so much stuff to say. I'm sorry. I cannot listen to you right now. I need to be listened to. And that's, that is network, and also uh, Patty Chayefsky won uh, screenplay for his film. Uh, he didn't direct it. I think I think Arthur Hiller directed it. I don't have it in front of my in front of me. But um, uh, the hospital with George C. Scott, and that one really only one character. George C. Scott gets like monologues, but he was nominated for it, of course. And uh, Chayefsky won. He's just he's very. I don't know. He's, he has a very specific way with dialogue that uh, I think some people could find off-putting, um, but I enjoy. And and if you have a director who's willing to heighten everything a little bit, whether it be the performances or the tone, to match that, then the dialogue does not seem unbelievable. Uh, but also, you know, I, I think a lot of writers tend to write how they talk, Um and Patty Chavsky just talked like that. <laughs> I remember um, I, on my uh, Oscars Greatest Moments tape uh, from 1970 to 1990, uh, Vanessa Redgrave won Supporting Actress in 1977 for Julia. And she went out and she made the big, a big political statement and people got angry. And then later, Chayefsky was going to come out and present screenplay. And he comes out and he's this, you know, this kind of nebbishy, soft-spoken, you know, Jewish guy. And he comes out and he goes, so before I present, I've got something I want to say. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to be able to uh, live with myself tomorrow morning, he goes, I'm sick and I've taken the time to memorize this, by the way. I'm sick and tired of people exploiting the occasion of the Academy Awards. Applause break. He goes, for the propagation of their own personal and political propaganda. And just like, that's a lot of peas. I like that. And just, he says, I'd like to suggest to Miss Redgrave that her winning an Academy Award is not a pivotal moment in history. It did not require a proclamation and a simple thank you would have sufficed. And, she, you know, huge applause. Like, that's just, by the way, he didn't write that no. before. He couldn't he, have. He may he maybe spent some time backstage thinking about it, but he even so like thought that up on the fly because that's just how he thinks. <laughs> and so when when the you know during the opening credits, it says you know it, like it, it lists various actors and it says in Patty Shayevsky's network, not Sidney Lumet's network. Mm. And even though Sidney Lumet is he's no slouch as a director, yeah. but even he recognizes like. I'm I'm directing to the script. This is his script. Yeah. And this is his film all the way through. And so um but the acting is and and the acting is indeed wonderful. Um 
I think this is maybe the first thing I'd ever seen William Holden in, and I thought he was amazing. He plays a this grizzled news produ- producer who is who is being left behind by mm-hmm. like the sensationalistic changes in in the network. Um, Faye Dunaway won her Oscar for this film, and she is a young, aggressive, one could say in many ways, masculine. Uh, she herself describes she describes herself as masculine. Um, this uh, TV executive and she's just, she is the future of television and yeah. she just, she's an up and comer and all that. And then I'll mention just a couple others and you know, Peter Finch as Howard Beale, he won best actor posthumously. He died uh, before he could, uh, you know, before the ceremony. Um, and I will say, I love his performance, but it is more of a supporting performance. I think there's no yeah. arc to him. Yeah, really. And and it's almost as if he just serves as kind of an instigating yeah. event in the film more than anything else. It's yeah. like he, he goes crazy and, he, you know, it's it's fantastic when he does. But uh, the the characters that are more engaging and that are more, I think, that have more memorable moments even maybe mm-hmm. uh, are Faye Dunaway or, or uh, Robert Duvall or, yeah. or Ned Beatty even. Beatty. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Certainly the, you know, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take this anymore, is itself a wonderful monologue, delivered well, and a big part of it is due to Sidney Lumet and the way he chooses. I mean, he Mm -hmm. knows this is a big moment in the movie and in the world of the movie. Yeah. And I'm going to treat it with almost operatic uh, tone. Yeah. Yeah. It it is an event. Yeah. Like, it is the... Like the like, Beale has a few rants before that, but that is the catalyst that mm-hmm. starts everything, really. Yeah. Um, and it happens easily a half hour into the film. Like it's yeah. the film's been going along pretty well for a while there. Um, but yeah, and but I think Peter Finch is is great, and he just throws himself into it. I mean, at the end, like this is a good sign that the character's going crazy. That at the end of his monologues, he faints, uh, <laughs> and just like okay, I think if. He's not getting enough oxygen to the head. Maybe, maybe this is one of the things that's informing the crazy things he's saying. <laughs> um, and so he just he just throws himself into into everything. Um, you mentioned Robert Duvall. Uh, we talked about him a little bit, not as an actor, but we talked about his character Tom Hagen, the level-headed, reasonable guy from The Godfather. <laughs> Then we see him in network as Frank Hackett, just this, he's not a, that's the thing. He's not a TV executive. He's mm-hmm. a businessman yeah, and a very aggressive one. And I, I would repeat some of my favorite lines of his, but I can't because of this show. Um, but he's, yeah. a, he's a delight. And it is, I, I always love movies where there's real quick witty dialogue. And mm-hmm. a lot of the ones that I lean towards, I think of some of my favorites are the ones that are a little more comedic, like maybe a Woody Allen, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. But um, it really is a lot of fun. These characters are fun in the same way, but much kind of darker and meaner, yeah. maybe. And it's the same type of quick, witty stuff back and forth, and like everything feels like a good cut, but these characters are like ruthless. They're ruthless and aggressive, and yet they're still so much fun to listen to. Yeah. it's, And that's the other thing, is when I first watched it, and I would say, I think I was a sophomore in high school when I first saw it. Um, the, 
it, it blew, first off, it blew me away. I mean, I was 16. You don't see a lot of movies like this when you're 16. And even though I had seen, you know, I had seen The Godfather by then. I had seen Citizen Kane. Network is different tonally than a lot of the things that I had seen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it blew me away. And more than anything, I considered it a drama. You watch it. I've, I've watched it many more times since then. Um, that was one of the movies that I championed to my friends uh, <laughs> at the time. And, uh, and so I would, I would, and that's one that I would watch with people to ensure that they watched it. <laughs> and so like I bought my, I couldn't buy my own copy fast enough. And it's like, Hey, there's a movie network. You want to watch it? And like, okay, sure. And they always liked it, mm-hmm. which, and that, that's, that speaks to the film that like, even people who don't, who aren't really like movie people can watch this movie and be like, this is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And so. I don't, I kind of lost my train of thought, but it just, I'd never seen anything like it before. And so, um, so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, you will not be sorry. You will remember it. And I do want to say one of the things that, uh, that people have talked about is, and this can be said of, I'm going to say any satire. If it's outrageous enough and if it seems, and I'd say the more unlikely it seems, the more likely it will come to pass. Um, and there are aspects to network that still have not happened, which is, mm-hmm. you know, TV executives like arranging an execution, you know, like, but the idea of sensationalism, yeah. um, like it's at an all time high now. I mean, if Patty Chayefsky, like <laughs> if, if he saw reality television, <laughs> Yeah. Of any sort. Especially yeah. the way it is today. Yeah. I think it would be like, oh, I predicted this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. He's like, did they... Wait, did did producers look at my satirical script and say, we can beat that? Like, <laughs> is that what they did? Um, but yeah, and so like... But, it, but it's pressing in, in a lot of ways. One is just like the way television has gone. But also, I, I thought of a, a few things. So... Um, Ned Beatty's character is Arthur Jensen. He is, you know, president of the company, CEO, CEO of the company that owns the network. But he and he takes a very specific interest in the network to the point where he actually, in his great monologue, he steers Howard Beale in another direction. And from then on, he's it's like, all right, Howard Beale is now extolling my philosophy. And in that way, I would say he is kind of the precursor of, say, your Ted Turners, your Rupert Murdochs, people that like own businessmen who like like successful, wealthy businessmen who own networks and then networks tend to take on the tone of their personal politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is only possible with pundits. And and I mean, I you look at Howard Beale and the idea is that he was the anchor man and like and the Howard Beale show, which has come to be known, but officially it is the uh, UBS Evening News with Howard Beale. That is officially what it's called. But there is no news. It's all commentary and it's all sensationalistic, you know, uh, crap. And so the idea now that, like, there are people like I wrote down a few. You got like your Bill O'Reilly, mm-hmm. your Sean Hannity, mm-hmm. your Chris Matthews, your um, Glenn Beck. And hang on, 
like Rachel Maddow. Uh, I mean, it just it just goes on. Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, <laughs> Keith Olbermann. Yeah. Keith Olbermann. All right. Now, I, I don't know what your politics are. Uh, I know what yours are, Josh, but I'm speaking to the listener. I don't know what your politics are, but uh, Keith Olbermann is just ridiculous. Um, because here's, here's something that he did. And this speaks to this film permeating the culture. He, uh, when he had his show Countdown, there was an episode where in his like opening remarks, he's wearing like a raincoat and he, uh, he, give, he delivers a, a monologue that is Chayefsky-esque and then like stands up and like goes to the camera. It, like he's, he's, he's evoking Howard Beale mm. and like trying to convince people like they need to get upset and all that. And it's just like, it's like, oh, like network. That character was crazy, <laughs> but he was, he's not somebody to be admired in all seriousness, feeling like he had to shake people out of complacency or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. And in doing Oof. so, he evokes a character that is insane. <laughs> now, as much as now, don't get me wrong. I would have, I really wish he committed and fainted at the end, but, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, and so it, it fascinates me that the, that the film, it predicted so much stuff. And I'm not sure if Padishevsky would have said it was a prediction. I'm sure he thought it was just total satire um, and saying, like, it's like, certainly TV has gone crazy, but it will never go this crazy. I, mm-hmm. ne- I need to be extreme so that people see what they, what it, how far it has come. Mm-hmm. And now it's just gone, you know, so much further, I think, than, than that, uh, than the film shows. And the idea that Keith Oberman, man, uh, a guy that I would say is probably fairly intelligent but that he will evoke a crazy character because that's how powerful Howard Beale as an anti-hero is mm-hmm. that Overman is willing to in many ways undercut what he is saying by being like oh yeah it's like it's, it imagine like if somebody if I'm, I'm trying to like I don't know, like, uh, who are the, uh, the Minutemen? Like, the guys who, uh, like, who are not affiliated with law enforcement, they, but they'll, like, watch the border? The, oh, okay, maybe. I, I think they're called the Minutemen. But anyway, you know, and they've been many, they've been kind of condemned as, like, vigilantes and all that. And I think, I don't, I don't know if they actually, like, carry guns or anything. I think they just call law enforcement. But they might, they might do more than that. And so, but like, imagine if like the Minutemen were like, okay, we need people to take us seriously. Here's what we're going to do. We'll throw on some sunglasses and shave our heads into mohawks like Travis Bickle. That'll get people to take us seriously because he took a stand. It's like, no, I, th- I don't think you're getting the point of the film. Yeah. And so, um, and, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. The, well, another thing in the same way that the film predicts, maybe predicts, is, uh, <laughs> It it seems ridiculous in the film that they would take somebody who has a public meltdown on TV, who who does go crazy and and looks crazy, mm-hmm. and take that person and turn them into a celebrity, turn something that they did that was obviously a negative thing in the public yeah. in the public eye, and turn that into a positive just because people remember it is definitely something that's happened now. I oh, mean, absolutely. There's that uh, Elliot Spitzer guy had his own. Uh, he was on a TV show for a while. If he still, I think he still is he still. One. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, after uh, after Charlie Sheen had his breakdown, he did like a some kind of tour of the country yeah. doing. I don't know if he was doing stand up or what he was doing. It was like a one man show that I that 
I think he thought was funny, but uh, by all accounts, it was just a train wreck that everyone just wanted to see. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, let's see, it's, it's exactly that thing. You take something that people like can't even believe it and then just yeah. put it on TV a lot because people are fascinated by it. And yeah. that's, I mean, we're doing that now. We do that. Yeah. And so it's just, and that's the thing is there, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of like bad sci-fi movies that predicted certain things aspects of technology that we now have and and we could look at that and be like wow they predicted it the movie's still bad so i so so many people talk about network in so far as like oh it predicted all this stuff it's like it did yes and that in itself is kind of fascinating but that is not the only thing that makes it good yeah um it's sort of like when people talk about citizen kane it's just like oh it, it revolutionized filmmaking it's like it did indeed but it's also good in its own way, like at, at, on its own terms. And so, um, so I would, I would encourage people to, to seek out the film. And especially if you like, when I first saw it, reality TV did, wasn't a thing, you know, like it was, it would, it was going to be in a couple years. I think the worst was like Jerry Springer, which was still pretty bad, like mm-hmm. daytime talk shows, but like everybody viewed that as like, haha, that's a silly fringe thing. But like now it, it couldn't be more mainstream. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like to anybody watching it for the first time now, I'd be fascinated to know like what they what they think of it. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, so um, so that's yeah, that's my uh, my eighth favorite movie of all time, and I think uh, seventh. Oh, that I'm right. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I'm sorry. Correct. Yes, seventh, seventh. I I got a little mixed up there. So that's my seventh favorite movie of all time. We'll be talking to Josh about his seventh favorite movie in uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, in the meantime, Josh, thanks for being here. Thank you, and thank you guys for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye.